We're in Joshua. We're going to look at uh, chapters 13 and 14 and 15 and maybe on beyond that a little bit uh, as we get working on things here. Um, we have <coughs> said that the book of Joshua is written for spiritual principles and the point of it was that in life uh, there are things that God gives us, outright gives us. He gives us certain things. And then there's things that we're going to get later, heaven, and all the blessings of heaven which are guaranteed to us, but we don't get it till later. And then there's some things that we have to take and possess and have. And those are the things that we're talking about as we come to the promised land, Joshua leading the people in teaching them certain behaviors. You can't be afraid. Remember, don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Stay on track. Do what you need to do, he says. Remember the Bible and consider it. Think about it, and that'll help you along life's way. Once you get started, don't stop. All these good principles that are part of possessing the land. The point of it will be that God has given us a huge opportunity in our life to grow and develop and it's going to require us to participate in that and to do our part and so that we can develop into all that we can be and I don't know if anybody ever did that other than Jesus he was all that you could be uh, at 33 that always fascinates me when I was 33, I was just starting this church when I was 33. And somebody said, asked me, how old are you? I said, I'm 33. And they said, well, and I said, that's a big deal. And they said, that's not a big deal. I said, yes, it is. And I said, Jesus had saved the world at 33. I'm considerably far behind that. Well, I'd like to catch up. So uh, that's what the book is about, possessing more of what God has for us. And now we have watched Joshua cross the river, come into the, across the Jordan, into Canaan, take the city of Jericho with God's help, Ai, and then uh, when four cities, the Gibeons, Gibeonite people, uh, come over to their side, he does a southward swing in just a few days and takes almost a whole southern part of Israel. And last week we watched him go up north. He makes his way up through the north. And by the time we're done with chapter 12, he's taken 31 cities, uh, has he taken, <coughs> which is a considerable amount. And we come to chapter 13. Now, when uh, here we go, chapter 13, verse 1. When Joshua was old and stricken in years, the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. You know, he said, I know, I know. <laughs> it's a time when God says, you know, you're getting old, right? Yeah, okay, I am. And there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. And so... If we look at the map, again, we have the Mediterranean Sea, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, and the Sea of Galilee. And he came across here, took the southern, whole southern district. He's gone up and taken the northern district all the way up to there. And he has 
Now, he's an old man. All right. It's taken a little time. He's an old man. And verse 2, this is the land that yet remaineth all the borders of the Philistines and all Geshuri. And then there's a whole list of names that probably isn't going to mean a whole lot to you and me. And some of those names, when you read through the names of these cities, some of them are gone forever. They only exist as a name in the Bible. People don't know where they are, what happened to them. But we go down through this list, and God's telling Joshua, uh, you're an old man, uh, but I'm telling you, uh, there's more land out there that you could have, that your people could have. And so what happened? Well, he took him to Jericho and knocked the walls down for him. Right? And he took him in the southern uh, uh, <coughs> advancement there, and he killed the army with hailstones, then he lengthened the day for a whole day so he could fight longer, and God was helping him all along the way. And then after that, God said, okay, I'm still there with you, but you go do it yourself. Time for you to get your act together, and you go. And so they did the whole northern escapades all the way up through by themselves. In other words, God didn't knock all the walls down and kill people with hailstones. They just went on as like a conquering army and destroyed, brought judgment to these people. Now there's a sections that God says you you still haven't got. And, and we skip some of the names because the names don't mean too much to us. Down to verse 6. 13.6. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misriboth Mayim and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. And so he says, here's what I, what's left, Joshua. And it amounts to three places, starting about here and down through here is a place of the land of the Philistines. There's a group of cities up through there that they haven't got. And he, God mentioned almost to Egypt. And so God intended for them to come out of Egypt and get started and sweep your way up through and take it. All right? Up here, there's a whole other section we call uh, Phoenicia and Tyre and Sidon, the two major cities there historically. Uh, known for years and years. And he says, these two sections uh, you can go get, and I'll help you. You can get them. And then up here, there's a, a longer extended border, what we call Lebanon. Lebanon. And he says, those are the three basic places. There's a few more that he mentions, and we'll see those as we go along. But he says, you got this property, I will give it to you. Got to go take it. Got to go take it. And Joshua's old. He's about 85, 86 years old. All right. Anybody that old here? <laughs> so Louis says, yeah, I'll go fight some more. Are you ready? Right? No, time when you're getting tired. And uh, he says, we're, we're, uh, so the people need to know that if they go, they can take these places. So they, they need to go do that. And that's what God's telling him. Now, <clears throat> but right now, God says, I got a job for you, Joshua. <laughs> and let's watch this. 
down in verse 6 again. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrapoth, Maim, and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. That's the promise. He said, if you go now, it'll be just like it's been. You'll go and win, take the property. Only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance as I have commanded me. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. And so he says to Joshua, it's time has come and you guys have been fighting. You fought all through here. There's some extensions you could take. Property would take you right to the Mediterranean Sea. And Lebanon is famous for wood, famous for cedar trees, huge, big, beautiful building cedar trees. And those are the ones that Solomon brought to Jerusalem. He had them cut in Lebanon, brought to Jerusalem, but they were in another country because they never took Lebanon. They never took it. And so... He said, I'll give you all that property. But right now, Joshua, I want you to divide the land up among the tribes. Now, over on this side, there was uh, two tribes and a half tribe. A tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben had taken this side. You remember there were 60 cities that they took on that side. And there's called a half-tribe of Manasseh. Half-tribe of Manasseh. So there's two tribes there. And he says, so there's nine and a half tribes that have been fighting their way south, north. And he says, now I want you to divide the land up. And he tells you how he's going to do it. He says, divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance as I have commanded thee. So he's going to divide the land up by lot. Now what does that mean? It kind of means, and that's not exactly how they did it, but uh, if you're going to do something by lot, you throw everybody's name in a hat and pick the name out, right? And you take what you get. You pick in, reach in, pick it out, and if you get this lot, that, that's yours. So he says, what we're going to do is you're going to divide it by lots. They're going to draw lots. And there's nine and a half tribes. Of course, the half tribe of Manasseh has a half tribe still of Ephraim. Ephraim. And Ephraim and Manasseh were the sons of Joseph. And instead of being a tribe named Joseph as one of the brothers, the tribe took the two names of his sons. So they said, well, because Joseph should have been the name of the tribe for using his sons, and one tribe was Manasseh, the other tribe was Ephraim. But you're going to do it by lots. All right? So they're going to draw the name out of a hat and pass it out. Now you'll get what you get. Sounds like the way it works, right? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's fascinating to me. That's what he's going to do. Look over in chapter 18. Let's flip over to chapter 18. 
In verse 10, after a series of events and things that are going to happen, uh, this actually happens. Chapter 18, verse 10, Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land unto the children of Israel according to their divisions, or for each tribe. So every tribe, which is part of that great family that was Jacob's 12 sons, Every tribe is going to get a section of property all the way, dividing it up through uh, uh, through the whole place. And so there's, there's nine and a half uh, divisions up through there. And they're going to divide the land. And they're going to cast lots for it. And I was thinking about this, uh, the casting of lots. And uh, how would you describe that? Did you ever do anything like that? Kind of random, right? It's kind of random. Well, pick your name out of the hat and see what happens, right? If you're casting lots, uh, there's nothing you do. You mix them up in there and draw the name out and, and see what happens. And uh, that would sound like it was random. Whoever gets what you get, what you get, right? But that's not at all. What happened? It's entirely different from our concept of drawing lots and casting lots. Uh, no, there's a reason for that. You've already seen casting lots in the book of Joshua. Where'd you see it? Scholars. <laughs> Where did they cast lots in the book of Joshua? I'll help you out. Remember AI? They go to fight at AI. They get whipped. Come back. And Joshua's laying on the ground praying and crying. And God says, get up. What's the matter with you? You got somebody in the camp did something wrong. So how do they figure out? They cast lots. They cast lots. And so when they're casting lots for trying to figure out who did what they shouldn't have done, Achan, you remember, had the, the Babylonian garment in his tent and a little chunk of gold and silver that he hid under the sand in his tent. And uh, how they do it? They cast lots. I thought casting lots was random. So, was it random? How did they go right to Achan? They kept cat, remember? We got the tribe, now we got the family, now we got the son-in-law. <laughs> Finally, the last guy, Achan, all right? You, the lot fell on you. He says, you're right, it's in my tent. How that, was that random? Obviously, it's not random. Obviously, God knows, all right? And God's got it planned. He knows who it is. So he says, go ahead and pull the names out of the hat. And they pull them out. This is the tribe. Here, here's the family. Here's the, and on and on, till they get to him. And so there's something about that that I kind of find fascinating. So he says to Joshua, you're going to cast lots. 
Alright? And so, okay, we're going to cast lots. Does that mean it's random? Whatever comes up is what you get? Yeah. Yeah, sort of, but it's not random. It's God working his way. God working his way. Now, take a look back at Genesis, Genesis chapter 48. <coughs> Genesis 48. Now this is 400 years before this Joshua thing happens, 400 years before. And Jacob is an old man, and he's going to bless his children. He's going to say things about his children. So Joseph brings his two sons in. He says, okay, Dad, uh, there's uh, Manasseh and there's Ephraim. My two boys, I want you to bless them. And he says, of course, Manasseh's the older one, so he'd get the main part of the blessing. And then there's Ephraim, the younger one. So I got them all lined up for you. Put your hand on their head like you would and say the blessing. So dad goes, okay. <laughs> and he switches hands. And Joseph said, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to switch hands. He says, I'm switching hands. Because I'm not going to bless Manasseh. I'm going to bless Ephraim. I want him to be the primary one of the two of them. So right away, first thing, he switches his hands and blesses Ephraim and not Manasseh. And Joseph's a little bent out of shape, but he says that's the way it's going to go. Uh, chapter eight, 48, verse 18, Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand on his head. The father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He shall become a people and he shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. His seed shall be a multitude of nations. And so right away, 400 years before it happens, he's saying this Ephraim is going to have way more kids and all the rest are going to be a much stronger family than almost everybody. Then he's going to go on and talk about all his other sons <clears throat> in chapter 49. Uh, Reuben, verse 3, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, excellency of dignity, excellence, unstable as water, thou shall not excel. <coughs> So then I can't trust you. Won't be able to trust your family. Don't trust you at all. And he goes on and mentions these things. We get down to verse uh, number 13. Zebulon shall dwell at the haven of the sea. He shall be a haven for ships and his border shall be undesired. He just said where Zebulon's property is going to be up here along this stretch, top stretch. Now, if they're casting lots for it, 
400 years before, Jacob said, that's where he's going to be. <laughs> so why are they casting lots for it? Well, because God knew what was going to happen, and there's something very important in all that. Uh, Judah, verse 9, back in Genesis 49. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, crouched as a lion, as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So he says, Judah is going to be the king. King's going to come from Judah. And, or a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. So he says, in Judah, there's something important about you. Uh, your tribe will be the kings. You're going to be the kings until Shiloh comes. And waiting for Shiloh to come. And so when Joshua reaches in the hat... And pulls out the name tribe of Judah. It says, you'll take the land south of Gilgal, where we crossed the river. All right? And south of that, the first or second major city is Jerusalem. Huh. Judah got Jerusalem. And seven miles down the road from Jerusalem, there's a little, tiny little place. And it's called Bethlehem. It just how happens that Judah gets Bethlehem. And they pick the name out of the hat. All right? And of course, Shiloh is Jesus. Shiloh means peace. And he says, we're going to be kings until Shiloh comes, till Jesus comes, and where is he coming? To Bethlehem, right? And so he's from the tribe of Judah, Jesus. He's going. To, so what I'm pointing out is when they say, well, pick your names out of hat, there it is. Don't think it was random. It was random, but God's guiding Joshua's hand is get that paper and give it to them. That's it. This paper goes to him, and so he divides the land all up, which they knew from 400 years before. And so as Joshua's dividing the land up, it becomes clear if you think about that. All right? You've been fighting a war. You've gone all the way south, all the way north. You're back at Gilgal now. And uh, Joshua says, well, time to divide this property up. All right. So where am I going to live? Well, you're going to live here. You're going to live here. You're going to live here. God says, I want you to live there. I want you to live there. I want you to live there. And I think that is very much the fact of life here as Joshua is dividing the land up. You are living right now where God put you.
you think you bought the house <laughs> and you looked it over and you said, this is the one I want, or you built the place or you did something. You said, that, I, I got it all figured out. That's why I'm here. That's not why you're here. You're there because God put you there. Just like he just did with the whole nation. He put them there for a reason. He tells you, this is where I want you to be. And that's very much the way that God behaves, I think, all the time. You live where you live because God put you there. That's it. And you thought all along you were in control. And you're not. You're there because God wanted you to be there. And let me go to the next statement. Because he wanted you to be here. Okay? You're where you were so that you could be here. And that's why you live where you live. Somehow there's a connection in it. And it has been for me a really strong thing when I started to read this and thought, thought about God saying, you're going to live there. <laughs> I think God said that to me long before I ever figured out what was going on. Because I had my intentions to buy a house. I talked to the fella who owned it. He was glad to sell it. I went and I got a loan. I had the loan all set. And I went to see the guy. I said, I got the loan. We're all ready to go. So I changed my mind. I said, what? I changed my mind. I don't want to sell it. So I went home and said to my wife, I'm not sure what we do now. I don't know what we do. We got a loan and I can't, don't have a house to buy. So I suppose, out of frustration or whatever, I said, well, let's go visit my mom and dad. So we got in the car, and we drove down Roberts Road, and there's a for sale sign right there. I said, why don't we buy that house? I said, okay. <laughs> so I went into the guy at the bank, and I said, I changed houses. He says, you can't change houses. I said, well, I did. I did. I changed houses. This is where I'm going to go. So he went and checked it out and did all his government things that government people do. He said, okay, uh, you got it. So I, I had that house right there. And I think God said to me, i got to have you there. So that's where you're going to be. Now, my sister left home first. She moved to Minnesota, stayed there. My brother left home next. He went to Colorado and stayed there for a while, moved to Montana. My younger sister went to Pennsylvania. I never went anywhere. I just stayed right here. I arrived here in 1958, and my father had got a job working for the government on Cape Cod. He loved it. It was right on the ocean, and we were uh, working for the government. Cape Cod. And because he wasn't there quite a year, the government could do whatever they want. So the government said, we're shipping you to western New York. And in 1958, at the end of the year, into 1959, we came here and lived uh, here, five miles from here. In 1959, they started to close this church. And so I just arrived when the place was closing down. 1960, they shut the door. 
and I'm living five miles right over there. All right? So everybody leaves home except for me. So I decided I, there's a job I want to work for the government down in Syracuse. So I went to see the guys. I'd love to hire you. Okay, good. Went to filled out all the paperwork and everything. And I never see so many obstacles in my life as that. And they lost my applications. They said, you're too qualified. And they said, you're not qualified enough. And they went on and on and on and on and on. Finally, I said, I guess this just isn't meant to be. I'd give it up. Because it would have put me in Syracuse, not here. So he got the, I said, I want you there. So just stay there. <laughs> stay there. And God would work out all kinds of things. Uh, after the first year, me living in my house, uh, the guy who owned the property behind me went to see my father, and he said, look, Odie, come with me. It's Christmas Day. Let's take a ride. So he drove down my driveway and into the back there, and he said, I'm going to give you this property. Merry Christmas. He gave that property to my father. And so uh, I'm thinking, well, I guess I was supposed to be here. All right. And then, of course, came this opportunity to be here. And my father told me before he died, he said, I wanted you to know it's clear to me now why I had to move to Western New York, because I never wanted to come here. I never wanted to be here. I was satisfied, because we did what we did when we got here. But this is not where I ever wanted to be. But now I know why. I had to come here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Because God said, I want you where you got to be. Because you got to go over there and do what I need done. And so I'm going to put you right where I want you to be. And then he said, you're going to be over there. And then there's people who I've put in Batavia and Medina, Waterport, and Corfu, all around. I want them all to come there, too. And so... They're waiting for you to get going. So you see, it's very much God saying, you got to live here. Why? Because the kingdom needs to be spread, all right, and gathered together in one place. And so these people had the opportunities to uh, take the property, live for God, do what he wants done, and he was putting them exactly where he wanted them. Even though it says they drew lots, that doesn't mean anything like you and I consider it, which is a random choice. It wasn't that at all. It was God choosing, you got to live here. And Judah's family has got to go be in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And it will be the city of the great king when? And he comes again. When he comes again, he's going back to Jerusalem, city of the great king. All right? And so uh, right away, God's plan begins to be larger and larger and larger and larger. As he says, you, I want you there. So go there. So it has a lot to do with the connections that we make. All right? 
How many people live on Roberts Road? <laughs> Some of us live on Roberts Road, right? We all gather together and come down the road. People have come together and uh, it's us being where God put us so that we could do something for him. And you say, well, I don't know. Doesn't sound that easy to me. Well, it didn't say it was easy, but it, what does it say? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, right? Lean not to your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and what? He shall direct thy path. He's going to tell you where to go. And so in this passage, as Joshua's passing out property, pulling names out of a hat, very much God putting people where he wants them to be. And so to me, I think there's a lot in our life that has to do with that, God putting us someplace, putting us where he wants to be. And uh, <clears throat> you are where you are because God put you there. Now, there are some unusual circumstances in dividing the land that come up. And let's look at a couple of those in chapter number uh, 14, chapter number 14. And we're in Joshua now. Joshua, Joshua, chapter number 14. So, so Joshua says, we're going to draw names out of a hat and get all this land divided up. And, and the guy says, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. Before you do that, I got something I want to say. And here we go. Uh, chapter 14, verse 6. Children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren went up with me, made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. All right, and so we meet this guy. We've seen him before. His name is Caleb, and he says, I wholly follow God. Complete everything in me. Didn't turn to the right or left. Didn't stop and start. Didn't quit. I've been on God's trail from that day. Now that day he went in as a spy and he spied out the land and he came back and we remember there was two spies that gave good report. Joshua was one, and Caleb is the other one. Ten of the other ones said, oh, we can't go in there. As they're holding on their shoulders between two men a whole uh, pile of grapes. Imagine a, a, a stalk of grapes that you'd have to carry with a pole between two men's shoulders. It was unbelievable. They're bringing back, well, here's what we found. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, but we can't go in. Why not? 
because of people dinner, big giant people. You why we felt like a grasshopper next to these big huge. We can't go in. We want to go back to Egypt. I'd rather be a slave in Egypt than go in where God says we should go. And so God said, okay, we'll all die in the wilderness. And there's three left, Moses, and he's died now, and Joshua and Caleb. So Caleb said, look, I wholly followed the Lord. I did everything that I should. Verse 9, Moses swore in that day, saying, surely the land where thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, thy children forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And when Caleb said, we can go, we can take them, he saw the giants. He saw them. <laughs> no big deal. We can get them. Everybody said, no, can't do it. Verse 10. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. The score is 20, so he's 85 years old. Now, listen to what he says. Yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. So when at 40, when he was a tough hombre, he says, I'm still a tough hombre at 85. My strength, uh, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for to war, both to go out and to come in. See, when we get old, we could go out, but it's hard to get back. <laughs> right? <laughs> I can get going, but I can't ever get done. And he's not me. I can go out. I can come right home if I, I, I keep going. So I'm all right. Now, therefore, give me this mountain that the Lord spake in that day, as thou heardest in the day how the Anakims, those are giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. And if the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Joshua blessed him and gave to Caleb, son of Jephthah, Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Canaanite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kerjer Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. So he says, There's a place I saw. When I was spying out the land, it's right there. It's called Hebron, and it's a big mountain, and there's mountains all over there. And he said, God said, and Moses said, and God said, I could have that. So before you go passing these names out of the hat, I want that mountain. And Joshua says, I think then you're going you're to get it. Chapter 15, here we go, verse 13. And unto Caleb the son of Jephthah he gave part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. So Hebron was a city that was founded by the biggest giant, a guy named Anak. All right? And his sons are living there. And he said, I'll take it, I'll take it. 
And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai and Ahaman and Talmai, the children of Anak. Or these are all giants. These guys are big, huge. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before was Kerasifer. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerasifer and taketh it to him, him I will give to Asa my daughter to wife. <laughs> he goes down the road a little ways, there's another bunch of giants. He says, whoever takes that can have my daughter. That's good motive, see. <laughs> 17. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. So his brother said, I'll take it. <laughs> and he goes in there and knocks out the giants. And he gets uh, Caleb's son, or wife, her daughter to be his wife. 18, it came to pass as she came to him, she moved to ask of her father a field. She lighted off her ass, and Caleb said to her, what, what is thou who answereth, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me south land, give me also springs of water. He gave her the upper and the nether springs, and this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah. And so uh, he takes the hardest part at 85 years old, I can beat these giants. Let me at them. I can do it just as good as I could 45 years ago. And he went in and he whipped them all and took them all because what? He wholly followed the Lord. Every instruction that we have had since we started reading Joshua, you know what they are. Don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. Don't go to the right or the left. Go and keep going and don't stop. Meditate on God's word regularly every day. Caleb's been doing that all along. And so when there's giants there, I don't care. I can handle them. And God gives him the power and he goes and takes the mountain, whole mountain and the cities nearby that he wants, takes them and drives out the giants. And so at 85, just him and a few friends <laughs> go and take the giants on and uh, take the place. And so what, what is it? If, you, if somebody really has it in their heart to follow the Lord and to do what he asks in complete obedience, he's going to have the what, he, what he wants. He's going to gain from that. And so standing out from the others is Caleb, who has done the right things and now is rewarded by God. I'll put you where you want to go. So it's a great story of an old man. He's 85, but he's certainly not hindered. And he goes in there and knocks off the giants. Now, there's a couple other things I want to point out in this dividing up of the land. Back to chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 14. Only unto the tribe of Levi he gave none inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said unto them. So we got the case of Caleb, who gets to choose his people. And then we got the tribe of Levi, and they get nothing. 
that they're not getting, when I divide the property up, they don't get any. He said, I don't make sure that the Levites don't get any property. And uh, chapter 13, verse 33. <clears throat> Unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. What Moses was told by God, he said, okay, the tribe of Levi, Moses was of the tribe of Levi, okay? His brother Aaron was the high priest, the beginning of the priesthood. He's a tribe of Levi. And Moses is told by God, he said, that tribe will get no inheritance and no possession. And he says, to the tribe of Levi, they shall have no inheritance, for I will be their inheritance. I will be their inheritance. I will be, they shall have no possession, for I will be their possessions. That's God's promise to the tribe of Levi. So think about it. Every tribe is in the battles, right? They all go battling down through the south in that fantastic sweep. And they all work their way up through the north country. And there's still some sections they haven't got, but uh, there's, they have won all that property. And now the Levites said, okay, what do we get? You don't get nothing. Nothing? Nope. Because I want you to remember, I'm your inheritance, says God. I'm your possession. So how are these people supposed to survive? How are they supposed to survive? Well, uh, God says, here's the way it's going to work. The rest of the tribes, 11 other tribes, are going to give 10% a tithe to the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi is going to go to the temple and maintain the temple. They've got to work in the temple and do what needs to be done in the temple, make the sacrifices, and do all of those things, he says. And so uh, you can fight the battle, but there's no property because uh, most of all, you recognize, you recognize that I am worth more than any piece of property. Huh. I am worth more than all of the possessions you could own. And some of those tribes got beautiful, wonderful pieces of property. The tribe of Levi, well, because they had to make sure that you understand when you serve the Lord, he's worth more than anything else. If you're going to be a Lord's servant, you got to recognize what's the most valuable thing he is. He is. He's more valuable. And so it stands through history that they were supposed to support the Levites, the rest of the people. Bring a tenth in, support the Levites. Sometimes the poor Levites were broke. Barely had food to eat because people wouldn't give anything. Uh, sometimes the temple almost closed. 
almost was shut down. It was in such a state of disrepair uh, that to use it, they had to fix it. Remember when Eli and Hannah comes to that temple and the two sons of Eli were stealing the sacrifices and eating them, it was a mess. And sometimes the Lord's work can get to be an awful mess. And then it turns around the absolute other way. And by the time Jesus is coming into the temple, the Levites are the richest people around. But I'll tell you one thing, they got no use for God. They killed his son. And see, they said, bring your money. And they shoved it in their pockets and kept shoving it in their pockets until they were the wealthiest people in Israel. Caiaphas and Caiaphas's family was the wealthiest family there. But what do they know about God? Nothing. They lost the concept that God meant more than anything you could own. And so founded right in the beginning... Tribe of Levi, make sure you understand that God's more important than any property, anything else you got. God put you where you were so he could get you to be here, okay? And that's more important than anything else you can do. It helps us to grasp. Now, now we're going to look at one more situation that arises. And this... It's kind of a sad thing. I'm in Joshua chapter 13. We're going to work our way through a few verses. Joshua 13. As they're passing the land out, and Joshua's saying, okay, here's your portion, here's your portion. Uh, We go from family to tribe to tribe, and we get these different little reports that come. Now, some of the tribes are good. They don't have this report, but we're going to see a number of them. Chapter 13 and verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Geshurites nor the Maccathites, but the Geshurites and the Maccathites dwell among Israelites until this day. And so we get a group of people, all right, who didn't get driven out. There's a couple of cities there. And he said, well, we'll just leave them, stay there. Chapter 15. The last verse, verse 63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. Ah, so we go right to Jerusalem. And there's a town there of Jebusites. And he says, we never did get rid of them. We took the city. They came back in and inhabited it. And we never got it back. Chapter 16, verse 10. Talking about Ephraim, now that large family. They drove not out the Canaanites that dwelled in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites until this day and serve under tribute. Now remember what God's rule was, right? The Canaanites die. He said, ah, leave them there, all right. Just have them pay us a little tax. 
We'll keep them under that way. Well, so there's another one. Chapter 17, verse number 12. The children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when the children of Israel were at wax and strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. Now, God promised Joshua. There's property here. Yeah, and there's places like Hebron where the giants still hold it. And he said, I'm willing to help you drive them all out. So in Hebron, the guy who wholly follows the Lord, he does it. But there are what I would call pockets of resistance. Pockets of resistance. Here, there, and everywhere. In Ephraim, in Judah, uh, in the other places, there's Canaanites. God said, I don't want any of those people to live. But they let them live. And so dwelling among the Israelites are these people who worship the sun and the moon. And they call the sun Baal. And they call the moon Ashtoreth. And they worship them, and they say, well, uh, we want a, a God like that who will bless our crops. So we worship the Son, and he blesses our crops. And then, of course, sin goes like always it does. It gets stranger and stranger and crazier and crazier. And before you know it, the whole point of their uh, Baal and Astaroth is sex. And their temples are full of prostitutes. And you say, well, they should have got rid of them. Well, they could, but they didn't. And so they're living in the land, these people, who God said their cup of iniquity was full. I give you permission to wipe them off the face of the earth. They let them be, and they left them there. And it's going to be a few generations, and the king of Israel and his queen, Ahab and Jezebel, make Baal worship the religion of Israel. And they support 400 prophets of Baal right there in the king's house. See, the cancer, the disease, the infection was there. And they got infected. And we start reading, well, they kept their high places. Well, somewhere up there, they're worshiping Baal, up on the mountain and behind their house. And waiting for a chance when they can worship Baal publicly. And uh, one of the kings, Manasseh, builds a big old idol right in the middle of the temple. Manasseh built an idol right in the middle of the temple. So there. What do you think of that? Where'd that come? From those pockets of resistance that were allowed to stay. And so dividing the land was part of what God wanted. And what do you want to do with it? You want to do like Caleb? Get rid of them giants and victory. And that family would last for years as people that wholly followed God. 
Or God has his way. See how important God is. But they allowed the pockets of resistance. And that would turn Israel away from God until finally God said, I can't stand it anymore. Send that northern kingdom away. And the Assyrian army comes down and wipes out almost the whole northern kingdom, takes them off captive. There's still a southern kingdom. What happens? Same thing. They keep turning to Baal, keep turning to the Canaanite deities that were left behind. And so it's kind of a tragic story. And here's the thing. These Philistines down here, that God said, I'll let, go get them. We'll get rid of them. They didn't go get them. They didn't get rid of them. And the Philistines were a thorn in Israel's side for hundreds of years. What's the guy's name? Samson, right? <laughs> By himself, he tried to take on the whole, the whole Philistine nation. And unfortunately, he kind of messed up a little bit, but he killed more Philistines than anybody else did. But they were, came back stronger than ever, and King Saul goes to fight him, and he dies at the hand of the Philistines. And then David will fight Philistines, first famously one of those giants, Goliath. He's a Philistine. And he starts killing Philistines, and it will go on and on and on and on. And that will become a thorn in their side. God said to Joshua, you got that property left. I said you're going to have it. Go get it. <sighs> We're kind of happy what we got. We're okay. We don't need any more. And what happens is the next generation, the next generation paid dearly because one generation didn't do what God wanted done. That's what happens. The same thing happens today. If a family turns away from God, where's their kids and grandkids going to be? Not here. Not here. Okay. So it's a lot of thought goes into dividing the land. Uh, and we see who does it best. Caleb, we have the reminder in dividing the land. You always support God. He's more important than anything else. All right. And then the pockets of resistance that would come back and be a terrible thorn in the side of Israel. All right, next week we go on to some more fascinating stuff as God creates cities of refuge. Thank you.